Today I want to um, speak on a on topic, and I guess if I would title the message, it would be fear and faith. Fear and faith, or fear and the Christian. And so, of course, in this, this time in which we live, we're hearing about fear and all these, you know, horror stories and the whole agenda of the media is to promote fear. To, uh, and it's, it's actually quite laughable uh, for those who aren't afraid. But how do we respond to fear? What is fear? Where'd it come from? Why do we have it? How do we deal with it? And as Christians, how do we cope with or deal with fear? And how do we deal with those around us who are afraid? And so I hope that some of those questions will be answered today as we look at this topic from Scripture. And I want to examine what the Bible has to say about fear. Um, <clears throat> just this last week, I was involved in a short conversation, and I happened to note it, and it was a good friend of mine that was speaking, and they were talking about, uh, in a particular state, that the churches were going to be reopening. And there was a conversation going on, and, and one person spoke up and said, well, I... I'm not going back to church till I see how it pans out and, you know, see if there's a big spike. And, if you, and then another person said, well, we want to go back to church too, but we're really afraid. And so we're just afraid that, you know, with people singing there, they'll be, you know, singing viral particles all over. So we're going to sit in the, as far back as we can against the wall so that the, there won't be anybody behind us singing and singing viral particles upon us. And I sat there and I could not believe what I was reading. And I was like, what in the world? And I said, do you people realize what you sound like? Is God not sovereign? Is he not in control? And of course, you say something like that, and of course, all the Christians on the, in the conversation immediately repent and say, you're right, God is in control, what were we thinking? No, and that's not at all their response. Uh, their response is, well, do you wear a helmet when you ride your bike or your motorcycle? Do you do vaccines? Do you, you know, and it's like, you know, Completely off topic, has nothing to do with it. And I, so I didn't, I didn't bother responding because I don't think they would appreciate my response because, no, I, I don't wear a helmet when I ride my bike. <laughs> has has nothing to do with faith. It has to do with my bike riding skills. I don't fall off my bike. Now, I might. I might bump my head. But, you know, if I do, I, I'm not going to worry about it. And uh, so... And, and, then, and then at the end of the conversation, somebody said, Oh, you probably handle snakes too, don't you? And I, I didn't respond. I wanted to. I thought of so many things. I wanted to say, you have no idea. And then post all these pictures of rattlesnakes. And then you want to buy a pen, you know. Uh, but, <laughs> but, you know, and so, you know, you, the Bible does say you don't, re, don't, don't answer a fool according to their folly sometimes. Or don't answer a scorn or just leave them alone. And so I just left it at that. But it immediately made me think, you know, we're, this is just typical. The other thing I noticed in this forum, there wasn't one man that was responding, and so I wanted to respond and say, you know, I'd love to hear some of your husband's opinion on this, but I didn't. Uh, I would become across as a male chauvinist, which I am <clears throat> not. Uh, and so, anyway, but it made me think about this topic of fear and faith and how we need to, you know, we're, we're, we're confronted with it. Whether you're dealing with it personally, you're certainly confronted with people who are wrestling with this. And so, and I'm not going to talk about it from the unbeliever's perspective because that's obvious. We don't need any instruction on that. We can see that every day. 
But as far as believers, how do we respond? And should we respond differently than anybody else? What should our response be? And so I'm afraid today that I want to talk to you about fear. No. Um, So listen up. Pay attention. And like I said, if you have questions that come to mind, write them down. I want you to be thinking and thinking critically. What is fear? What is fear? Well, it's a natural response. And we realize that, of course, before the fall, there was no fear. Fear, at the bottom level, really is a consequence of the fall. There was no need for fear. There was nothing to fear before the fall, as far as this, you know, being afraid. But we talk about fear. It's, it's natural. You ladies, when you're walking down the path and you see a rattlesnake, you know, what does your heart do? It kind of skips a beat. And, you know, you might be a little fearful. Um, talk about self-preservation. If you're standing in the middle of the road and you see a car coming barreling down the road, what do you do? Well, you get out of the way. And, and Wow, that was a close one. Or, you know, there are different things that come in our lives. And fear is a natural response. <clears throat> A natural response to danger. And, of course, psychologists talk about that fight-or-flight response, you know, when you're suddenly faced with a roaring tiger. You walk out of your house in the morning. I know this occurs regularly. Actually, I saw a video yesterday of some people in Mexico, and there was a tiger on the loose. It had gotten out of somebody's house. This full-grown tiger running down the road, and there's a guy with a lariat and a cowboy hat. And he ran up, and he roped the tiger. And you see the cord pull tight. And that was the end of the video clip. And I was like, oh, come on. I want to know what happened to that guy. You know, he's, he's roped a tiger. And not by the tail, by the head. Uh, what was next? Uh, so anyway, but there's a natural response of self-preservation. Now, I will say this, though. We think about fear. And did you know that fear can be overcome? Did you know that you can overcome your fear of heights? Yes, you can. Some of you may not want to. Um, and it is very uncomfortable to do so, but you can overcome fears. You can overcome the fear of death. You say, what, what do you mean? Well, in the military, guess what military people are trained to do? They're trained to run into the battle. And when you see a man, or you read about the stories of a man who, di- who dives on a grenade to save his fellow soldiers and sacrifice his life. Believe me, that man overcame what you and I would probably run from. Or he, he overcame the fear. He just did what he instinctively was trained to do. You can train yourself to overcome fears. Firemen are supposed to, I mean, run into burning buildings, right? And save, the, I know, with exceptions. But they're trained to go towards trouble while everybody else is running away. So fear can be conquered. There's inordinate fears. There are, uh, you know, afraid of the dark. How many of you struggled with that fear? Anybody in here struggle with a fear of the dark? Listen, when I was a kid, I was scared to death of the dark. And when I jumped into bed, I would dive under my covers and cover my head completely. I mean, suffocating. And I would lay there and I would count to 10 because in my imagination, there was a this monster that would come out and he would go around for the first 10 seconds and he would look for any air holes. 
And finally, I would open up a little heart over my nose where I could breathe. It felt so good to get some fresh air because I was starting to sweat. And I remember doing that as a kid. I was scared to death of the dark. Some kids, you know. And there's all kinds of phobias. And that word phobia is the most common Greek word, or derivatives of the word phobos, phobia, is the most common Greek word used in the New Testament or in the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the most common word used for fear in the Bible. We talk about phobias. Some people are afraid of heights. Some people have arachnophobia, the fear of spiders. And then I was going to tell you what the fear of long words was, but I'm afraid I would mispronounce it and it was too long, so I missed it. But anyway, there's all kinds of fears. Fear of anything. <clears throat> and then there's the worst one, the phobia phobia. And that's the fear of being afraid of something. Anyhow, but fear, fear is natural. Now, again, I gave this illustration of the Christians and fear. And we're talking about this, the day and age in which we live right now in this current situation with this virus that's out there. Not like there's any other viruses out there, but this is just the one that we've chosen to talk about. But um, fear. I want to first consider the definitions that are, the, there's three main words used in the scriptures for fear. First one, like I said, was the, that word from which we get phobia. It means to flee from. It's the terror of something or someone to hesitate to do something for fear of harm. You know, some people have a, they're afraid of getting up and speaking in public. I don't know what that fear is called, there's a name for it, but they're afraid of speaking in public. There's some people that are afraid of heights. There are some people that are afraid of the water. Uh, generally, those are people who can't swim. Um, <clears throat> some people are afraid of flying. I'm afraid of flying too, because my arms, I can't flap them fast enough. But you know, all kinds of fears. But this, this, this is phobia. Now, the, word, the Greek word used, though, is also used in a good sense in this way. In a moral sense, the word phobos, or that Greek word, is used to represent or to refer to a reverence or a respect, an honor for God or for persons in authority. And so there's the fear, the fear of God. In the New Testament, it's approximately used 137 times, that particular word. There's another Greek word, eulabea, um, <clears throat> or something like that, if I'm pronouncing it right, in regards to its reverent regard, or an awe, which results in obedience. In Hebrews 11, we read about Noah, among all of those people who <clears throat> walked by faith. But in Hebrews 11, and verse... 7. It says, By faith, Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness, which is by faith. <clears throat> that word is not phobia. Noah did not you know, build the ark because he was afraid of rain. That's not why Noah built the ark. Is as he moved with fear. That word is a reverent regard for God, and it's an awe which results in obedience. So because 
of Noah's reverence for God and his awe of God, what did he do? He obeyed what God said and built the ark. So he was moved by his regard, his respect, or that word fear, the Greek word used there for fear, and he built the ark. That word is only used a few times in the New Testament. And then there is another word, dilia, and this word, fear, is a result of a lack of courage. It also means timidity, cowardice, fearfulness. <clears throat> this word is used in the New, New Testament five times, and it is never a good fear. Okay, um, In Matthew 8, 26, and in Mark chapter 4, and verse 40, whether this was two different instances... Um, but in, <clears throat> I'll read it in Mark, in Mark chapter 4, they were, Jesus and his disciples had entered into a ship after a long day. They were going to head across the Sea of Galilee. Jesus was very tired and he falls asleep. A storm arises on the Sea of Galilee. It says there arose a great storm of wind and the waves beat into the ship so that it was now full. So, Got this boat. Jesus is sleeping in the boat. He's in the back part of the boat. It says he was sleeping in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow. A pillow is probably wet. Jesus was tired, physically exhausted, and he was asleep. The disciples were probably just as tired. They were not asleep, and they were also soaking wet. And so they awake him. And say unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? What is that? That was fear. What were they afraid of? They were afraid of drowning. They were going to die. They were in the middle of the sea. There was a storm. Uh, the waves were coming over the boat. The boat was filling up with water and sinking down to the level where the, maybe the sides of the boat were just at the level of the waves. I mean, that's kind of a, <laughs> a frightful you know, picture there. And Jesus is asleep. So they wake him up. They're going to die, they think. Carest thou not that we perish? And he arose and rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said unto them, the disciples, Why are you so fearful? Think about that. Let that sink in. Why are you so fearful? How is it that ye have no faith? Do you detect a tone of sympathy in those words? No. That is a rebuke. That is a rebuke. And I, really, you need to sit there, and we don't have time to do this. You need to sit and think about that comment. There's a lot of meaning in that comment. It wasn't that Jesus didn't notice that there's a lot of water in the boat. It wasn't that Jesus didn't realize that there was a storm. It wasn't that Jesus didn't realize that his disciples could not swim from that point to the nearest shore. He didn't say unto them, wow, guys, that was a close one. Thanks for waking me up. 
I had no idea we were so close to perishing. That is not what Jesus said. He looked at them and he questioned them and asked them, Why are you so fearful? And the answer is not, well, there was a big storm and we were about to die. No, the answer was, you have no faith. Folks, that is so direct, it's disturbing. That comment there must make you think. You have no faith, you're afraid of dying. Now, because I think that instance is so, so pertinent, I do want to let you see the other one. The other was in Matthew 8 and verse 26. Matthew 8, 26, his disciple, he went into a ship, his disciples followed him. Behold, there arose a great tempest in the sea, and as much as the ship was covered with the waves, but he was asleep. And his disciples came to him and awoke him, saying, Lord, save us, we perish. And he saith unto them, this is just a little bit of a different it says, and he saith unto them, Why are ye fearful, O ye of little faith? Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. The man marveled, saying, What manner of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? Now, <clears throat> this, word's, this word dilia, fear as a result of lack of courage, timidity, cowardice, fearfulness, this word is also used in John 14 and verse 27. Turn your Bibles and look at John chapter 14. John 14 and verse 27. <clears throat> Jesus is telling his disciples he's going to be going away. He's going to send the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost. Verse 26. Verse 27, he says this, Peace I leave with you. Peace. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Don't be afraid. Again, that's that word, delia, fear. Do not let your heart be afraid. I am leaving. I am sending another comforter. I am leaving you with my peace. What peace? Well, it's the same peace that allowed Jesus to sleep in the back of a boat that was sinking. It wasn't that Jesus was not attentive. You cannot say that. That would be blasphemy. But Jesus says, I'm leaving you with my peace. Let not your heart be troubled. Neither let it be afraid. The same word is used in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 7. And we all know this verse. I'm sure you've heard it. Paul is speaking to Timothy. Timothy did have some struggles with fear. He was a timid man in some respects. And Paul says to him in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 7, he says, for God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. 
And finally, this same word is used in the very last book of your Bible, Revelation chapter 21. Revelation 21 and verse 8. <clears throat> he has just said in verse 7, He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. And then he makes this contrast, and he says this, But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. What? 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 Wait a minute. And you look at that verse, and, well, yeah, I mean, I, I understand unbelievers, abominable, murderers, whoremongers, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars are going to go to hell. But doesn't it strike you as odd that he includes with those the fearful? Does that mean if I've ever been afraid, I'm going to hell? No, that's not what he's saying. He is saying the fearful and unbelieving. A person who is fearful, whose life is characterized and motivated by fear, is in Jesus' own words. Why have you no what? Faith. Okay? We might say the opposite of faith is fear. Those who are fearful demonstrate that they lack what? They lack faith. And that's a fact. If you are fearful, you lack faith. And that's demonstrable from Scripture, even what we've already read and in passages that we have yet to turn to. Now, so what is fear? Fear is a lack of trust. Fear is a lack of faith. It's a lack of faith, a lack of trust. Now, what does fear result in? Fear manifests itself or results in doubt. It results in cowardice. It results in timidity. When Peter was in the boat, a lot of these things are boat illustrations here. It's kind of interesting because here's Peter. He's out on the boat. Jesus was praying in the mountain. And in the, in the I, think I forget which hour, the third hour of the night or whatever, it was dark. The disciples are going across the sea, and the storm comes up. Jesus is not in the boat this time, and there's a big storm, and they're fearful. They're panicking. And not only are they trying to get the water out of the boat, but as they're bailing out the boat, they happen to notice, and there is a figure of someone walking toward them on the water. I mean, like rub your eyes, look again. Yeah, there's someone coming. So on top of the fear of drowning, up top of the fear of the storm, now they've got this ghost, some apparition, something is coming at them, and they don't know who it is. I mean, so they are just scared to death. And Jesus says, fear not, it is I. It's me, Jesus. And Peter says, uh, if it's really you, 
tell me to come out of the boat and walk to you. Jesus says, come on, Peter. So what does Peter do? Peter's an unusual guy. He gets out of the boat in the middle of the storm. And lo and behold, he starts walking on water. Yeah, get this. He's walking towards Jesus, and all of a sudden, he takes his eyes off the Lord and starts looking around. It, like, it suddenly like hits him like, what am I doing? I'm out of the boat. I'm on top of the water. Ah, this is a storm. And immediately he sinks. And the last words out of his mouth were, O oh God, our Father, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Jeroboam, Rehoboam, and all the Boam brothers in the Bible, Please help me. I cannot swim. No, that wasn't what he said. What he did is help. You know, I mean, he was going down fast. And what did Jesus do? Reached out his arm, pulled him up. And you know what Jesus said to him? He didn't say, you know, that was kind of stupid getting out of the boat in the middle of the storm, wasn't it? You're a nut. He didn't say, you know, you got to learn how to swim. You know, he didn't. Say, he goes, why did you doubt? Now, come on. Oh, come on, Jesus, really? Is that what you're going to... He was scared to death to begin with. At least he got out of the boat. The other disciples are still there, you know, you know, shaking. No, what did Jesus do? He rebukes him. You cannot find a passage dealing with fear in the Bible and Jesus being involved that Jesus is not rebuking the individual. And Jesus looks at Peter. He's got him up out of the water. And he looks at him and says, Why did you doubt? That's amazing. There's something there for us to learn. Why did you doubt? Fear results in doubt. Fear results in cowardice, in timidity. Back in 1 Samuel chapter 15, Saul comes back from the battle of the Amalekites. And you remember the story. God's word to Saul was to destroy them utterly, leave nothing in whom the breath of life exists. I mean, just kill them all. And Saul comes back, Samuel comes and addresses Saul and says, you know, I'm hearing a lot of cattle. What's going on here? And what did Saul say? Well, Saul, <laughs> I've, I've done what the Lord commanded. Well, why are these cattle all here? Well, and what did Saul say? He says, well, I feared the people. And so I spared the best of the cattle. Of course, you spared them for sacrifice. <laughs> but I feared the people. Saul said, I, I was looking at popular opinion. And the polls were in. And the polls said that we shouldn't really throw away all that good beef and all that good pork. Not pork. We killed the pork. Uh, all the good goats and the sheep. We, we, the, the public opinion was, was against killing him, so I, I, I feared the people and I did what they asked, and we kept the best of the animals for sacrifice. Saul credited what he did on fear. He said, I did it because I was afraid. He does the exact same thing later when he's supposed to be waiting for Samuel for the sacrifice. And he says, but the people were leaving me and the Philistines were coming in and I was afraid. I, I forced myself to offer the sacrifice. Fear causes us to act irrationally. Fear causes us to not do what God tells us to do. Fear causes us to act without faith, because a fear is a lack of faith. Remember in Matthew chapter 25, verse 25, 
there's the story of the master who's going to the far country and he calls his servants to him and he gives the one five talents, gives the other one two, and gives the last servant one talent, each according to their ability. The one talent servant got one talent. And by and by, the, ser- the master comes back, he calls his servants to account. The five talent servant did gain five more, the two talent gained two more, and then the one talent servant said, uh, Here's your talent back, wrapped up in this napkin. He goes, I was, I feared, I was afraid, and so I buried it. I was afraid, and he credits fear for his lack of activity. Of course, in that context there, his, you know, he says, the the master says, you could have at least put it in the bank and I could have gotten interest. He goes, well, I was afraid. So I buried it and I didn't lose it. Here you go. In Matthew chapter 26 and verse 74, we find Peter. Jesus has been captured in the Garden of Gethsemane, been taken to trial, and, and Peter is standing out there. And what does Peter do? He denies the Lord three times. Why did Peter deny the Lord? Do you think he was afraid? Well, yeah. Jesus had just been taken captive. And if they're going to take Jesus, what are they going to do the rest of the disciples? And so what does Peter do? Peter acts completely out of character, faithless, and what does he do? It's irrational. He completely denies the Lord, even to the point of cursing and swearing to try to uh, prove to the person who said, your speech betrays you. You sound like one of you. Oh, no. Blankety blank. I don't know the man. Now, let's move on. God has given us instruction regarding fear in his word. And you know what it simply is? It's two words. Can anybody tell me what it is? Fear not. There it is, folks. Fear not. Do not be afraid. Fear not. There is one thing we are instructed to fear. And God tells us in his word that we are commanded to fear him. We are to fear God. And that there are so many verses, I can't even begin to give you the list. There are so many verses that we are to fear God. Fear God and to obey his commandments. Fear him. In fact, we are told that God actually blesses those who fear him. I'm going to read you some verses, and I've got a lot of references here. I don't know we'll get to them all. But Psalm 115 and verse 13. Psalm 115, verse 13, it says this, He will bless them that fear the Lord, both small and great. In Psalm 145 and verse 19, He will fulfill the desire of them that fear Him. He also will hear their cry and will save them. Psalm 147 and verse 11. The Lord taketh pleasure in them that fear Him, in those that hope in His mercy. God takes pleasure in those who fear Him. He delights in that. There's a warning, though, to those who will not fear God. Back in Deuteronomy chapter 28. Deuteronomy 28. This is a reference you probably should remember, because it's something you ought to note as you go through. If you're reading through Deuteronomy or you're thinking about this, Deuteronomy chapter 28, verses 58 through 60. Listen to this. Here's God's word to his people. 
If thou wilt not observe to do all the words of this law that are written in this book, that thou mayest fear this glorious and fearful name, the Lord thy God, then the Lord will make thy plagues wonderful. Wonderful. Now, that word means full of wonder, like amazing, incredible, on so many levels for you millennials. Okay, now he says, he will make your plagues wonderful, amazing. Not in a good sense, this is plagues. And the plagues of thy seed, even great plagues, and of long continuance, and sore sicknesses, and of long continuance. Moreover, he will bring upon thee all the diseases of Egypt, which thou wast afraid of, and they shall cleave unto thee. Wow. So here's what God says. God says, if you do not fear me, I will bring your fears to pass. They will come true. In Proverbs chapter 1, in the very first chapter of Proverbs, there's a warning given. If you do not choose wisdom, Proverbs 1, beginning of verse 25, But ye have said it not, all my counsel, you would none of my reproof. I will also laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your fear cometh, or cometh to pass. When your fears are fulfilled, I will mock. I will laugh at you. When your fear cometh as desolation and your destruction cometh as a whirlwind, when distress and anguish cometh upon you, then shall they call upon me, but I will not answer. They shall seek me early, but they shall not find me, for that they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. God blesses those who fear Him, and He brings the fears to pass of those who do not choose to fear Him. You have one choice in life, folks. You can choose to fear God. But if you do not choose to fear God, you will fear anything else. Those who fear God fear nothing. Those who do not fear God fear anything. Now, there are many things we are instructed not to fear in Scripture. I mean, God doesn't, doesn't say just don't fear. He tells us don't fear. Why? Well, he says don't fear men. We're not to fear their actions. In Proverbs 29 and verse 25, Proverbs 29, 25, the fear of man bringeth a snare, but whoso putteth his trust in the Lord shall be safe. Psalm 27, 1, and Psalm 27, 3, there in that psalm, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Verse 3, Though an host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Really, think about that. Remember I gave you the illustration in the Bible study hour? Elisha and his servant. Servant comes in and says, Elisha, we're in trouble. The Syrian army has surrounded the town. There is no escape. And Elisha, he didn't get excited. He finished his breakfast. He just, he said, you know what? There's more with us than there are with them. And the servant goes, what do you mean? It's just you and me. 
maybe a few wimps in the city here, but that army surrounding us, we are not getting out of here. What are we going to do? Remember he prayed, said, open the eyes, Lord, open the eyes of my servant. And the servant goes out on the balcony, he looks and goes, whoa, wait a minute. There's chariots of fire in the hills all around us. No wonder Elisha's not concerned at all. It wasn't that Elisha was afraid and naturally afraid, but he was dealing with it and he was, he was praying and hoping that God would somehow calm his nerves. No. Elisha wasn't worried from the get-go. He just told his servant, there's more with us than with them. What are you worried about? And what Jesus said to his disciples? Why are you afraid? What's wrong with you? Where's your faith? We're not to fear the actions of men. We're not to, we're not to be afraid of <clears throat> the opinions of men. Did you know that the Bible actually says that? We're not even to be afraid of the opinions of men. In Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 57 and verse 7. And I have, a wrong, I have a wrong reference written down. I'll find that one. I hate it when I have a great one and then I just write down the wrong reference. Anyway, but we're not, to af- we're not even to be afraid of the opinions of men. It doesn't matter what they think. Now, let's go on. We're not to fear men, their actions. We're not to fear their opinions. Jesus instructed his, instructed his disciples in Matthew chapter 10 when he was sending them out. Seventy of the disciples came. He was going to send them out into the towns in which he was going to go. And he sent them out, gave them instructions. And he says to them in uh, Matthew chapter 10, people are going to persecute you. In verse 26, he says, Fear not, therefore, fear them not, therefore, for there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed and hid that shall not be known. Verse 28, And fear not them which kill the body but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Who is that? It's not the devil, folks. It's not the devil. It's God. God is the only one who can send someone to hell. Don't fear those who can kill the body. Don't be afraid of someone killing you. In the service for the Lord... God says, do not be afraid of someone killing you, but you fear me. Because I can not only kill you, I can send you to hell. That's who you're to fear. He goes on, he's instructing his disciples, says, are not two sparrows sold for a farthing, and one of them shall not fall on the ground without your father? The very hairs of your head are numbered. Fear not, therefore. Ye are of more value than many sparrows. That's reassuring, isn't it? We're more valuable to God than sparrows. But he even takes note when your son goes out with a BB gun and plinks one in the head and knocks it on the ground. Okay? God takes care of his creation. God knows when the sparrow falls. He knows how many hairs are left on your head. And he has them numbered. Do not fear. Now, fear not therefore a year of more value than many sparrows. We're not to fear death. We've memorized this in Hebrews chapter 2. In Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 15. Why did Jesus come? He came as a man. He partook of death. 
And it says that through death he might destroy him that had the power over death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetimes subject to bondage. What's everybody afraid of out there today, folks? They're afraid of dying. They're afraid of you know, they're afraid that this virus is going to kill them. They really are. And boy, the media is going to push that narrative and they want people to be afraid because the more afraid you are, the more obedient you will be. Be afraid. You catch this virus, you could die. Wait a minute. Jesus came to deliver those who through fear of death were subject to slavery. Fear enslaves. Faith brings freedom. This is why Jesus came to die, so that you would not fear death. Are you afraid of dying? Are you afraid of a little virus coming into your body and causing you to die? Why? Death is not to be feared. And I'm not speaking radically here. Paul talks about that in 1 Corinthians 15. Oh, death, where's thy sting? Oh, grave, where's thy victory? What are you afraid of? Are you afraid of dying? Listen, if you're afraid of dying, you're no different than the rest of the world. That's what they're afraid of. That's the biggest deal to them is death because they don't know anything beyond this life. And once this life is over, uh, then what? Well, I don't want to think about that. Let's not talk about that. Let's just have another drink. Ah. The world doesn't want to face death. They want to postpone it as long as they can. Now, I'm not saying Christians are jumping off cliffs just because it's so fun to die. No, you know what? God says, do not fear death. And so let me ask you something. Are you afraid of dying? Have you been afraid of this virus? Have you actually been afraid of getting sick? Why? Well, because I might die. Okay, get back in the word. Because God says, you are not to be afraid of dying. Do not fear death. Now, let me tell you something. If you're afraid of death, you reveal one of two things. You lack faith, or maybe you're not even saved, because the unbeliever is scared to death of death. I might say it that way. He is. He's afraid of dying, because he's not ready. He doesn't know what's coming. Now... Psalm 23 and verse 4. Everybody knows Psalm 23. It's a shepherd's psalm. And you know what? David actually talks about death in Psalm 23. Well, in verse 4, what does he say? Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Where? In the valley of the shadow of death. Christians do not go through death alone. Christians go through death with God at their side. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Where? In the valley of the shadow of death. I'm not going to fear any evil in death. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff comfort me, even in death. We're not to fear death. Psalm 91. You remember at the beginning of this virus thing, I said, here's my statement. I'm not going to say anything else. Well, I tried not to. 
And finally this week, I reached the bursting point. I said, God's people need to hear this message. Psalm 91. And what does Psalm 91 tell us? It gives us every reason why you shouldn't be afraid. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. You know, if you want to be in your father's shadow, you've got to walk pretty close to him. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God. In him will I trust. Surely he shall deliver thee from the snare of the fowler and from the noisome pestilence. He shall cover thee with his feathers. Under his wings shalt thou trust. His truth shall be thy shield and buckler. Thou shalt not be afraid for the terror by night, nor for the arrow that flieth by day. And then look at the very next words he says in verse 6. Nor for the pestilence that walketh in darkness. May I suggest to you what he's saying there? He's talking about the coronavirus. He is. If you don't believe me, read the words again. The pestilence that you cannot see. Hmm. The pestilence that walketh in darkness. Can you see the virus? Nope. <laughs> Neither can I. Are you afraid of what you can't see? It says right there, not to fear the pestilence that walketh in the darkness, nor for the destruction that wasteth at noonday. A thousand shall fall at thy side. Folks, I don't even think we've reached a thousand deaths yet in Arizona, at least attributable to the virus. And they sure have been dropping by my side. But it says here, a thousand shall fall at thy side and 10,000 at thy right hand, but it shall not come nigh thee. Only with thine eyes shalt thou behold and see the reward of the wicked. Because thou hast made the Lord, which is my refuge, even the most high, thy habitation, there shall no evil befall thee, neither shall any plague come nigh thy dwelling. And then he goes on and he's speaking here prophetically of Christ. Does this verse mean you will never be sick? Does this verse mean that you may not, you will never die of a bug? That's not what he's saying. He says, for he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways. They shall bear thee up in their hands, lest thou dash thy foot against a stone. Remember, the devil used that when he's tempting Jesus, misquoting scripture. Thou shalt tread upon the lion and the adder, the young lion and the dragon, shalt thou trample under feet. It says, Because he hath set his love upon me, therefore will I deliver him. I will set him on high, because he hath known my name. He shall call upon me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. Who? He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High. He that abides under the shadow of the Almighty. Would that not be referring to us, if we are his children? We are not to fear death. Did you know that we are also not to even fear trials and tribulations? We are not to fear persecution. Oh, you know, the... Christians say, well, we don't fear death, but boy, I sure hope I don't have it to suffer, suffer persecution. Oh, man, that would be the worst. Really? Well, look what God says to us about persecution. Revelation verse two, chapter 2 and verse 10. He's talking to the church at Smyrna. He says, fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Really? Really. 
do not fear persecution. Fear none of those things that thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that ye may be tried. And ye shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give you a crown of life. The Bible actually commands us that when we are persecuted, cast into prison, and even martyred, we're not to fear that. So, now that's unreasonable. No, it's not. And you can look through history and see the accounts of believers who have burned at the stake singing the praises of God. How on earth did they do that? Well, they put their trust in God and they did not fear persecution and they were faithful unto death. And there are many in heaven wearing the crown of life today. Do not fear trials, tribulations. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 14. But, and if ye suffer for righteousness' sake, you poor people, no. Happy are ye. Happy? Happy are ye. And be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Let me tell you something. If you are suffering for righteousness sake and you are happy, guess what people are going to ask you? What's wrong with you? Okay. What are they going to do? They're going to ask you a reason of the hope that is in you and you had better be ready to answer. He says, sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to whom? The people that are looking at you when you're happy in persecution. That's when they're going to ask you. Listen, if the believers walk around today all scared about a virus like the rest of the world, then guess what? No one's going to ask you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. You're not going to be able to tell them because you're just like them. But when you're happy, you're cheerful, People are going to take note. Now, in this context right here, he's talking about being happy in persecution. Folks, a virus is not persecution. It's just a bug. But how are we responding? How do we as believers respond to fear? We're not to fear death. We're not to fear trials and tribulations. And God's attitude towards fear is absolutely crystal clear in Scripture. God's attitude towards fear. Negatively, Jesus rebuked his disciples for their fear. I showed you those passages in Matthew and Mark. He didn't say, I feel your pain. No. He said, why are you afraid? Well, Jesus, the boat was sinking. You were asleep. We were going to die. No. Why were you afraid? You have no faith. That's a rebuke. 2 Timothy 1.7, God has not given us a spirit of fear. Romans 8 and verse 15. Romans 8.15, and that says, For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Trust is in Him. 
Now, like I said, God's attitude towards fear is clear in Scripture. There's a negative aspect here, but then there's the positive aspect. And I want you to see this. This is very important. Turn in your Bibles, if you will, to First John. I know you haven't had to turn to too many places because I've been kind of going all over. But I want you to look at this passage, First John chapter 4. You need to see this verse. First John 4 and verse 18. 1 John 4, 18. There is no fear in love. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. Wow. You think about that. There is no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear. Listen, when you're in love with the Savior, you're walking with Him. Guess what? There's nothing to be afraid of. Nothing. And if you are walking in fear, what does that tell us about your love? You have not been made perfect in love. You got a ways to go. God reminded Israel of his power to deliver them back in Isaiah chapter 41. In Isaiah 41. In verse 10, he says, Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee, yea, I will help thee, yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. What song do we sing with those very words in it? How firm a foundation, ye saints of the Lord. We sing this. These words are the text of that hymn. And then he goes on, verse 13. I, the Lord thy God, will hold thy right hand, saying unto thee, Fear not, I will help thee. Look at verse 14. Fear not, thou worm, Jacob. Worm. Fear not, thou worm, Jacob, and ye men of Israel. I will help thee, saith the Lord, and thy Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. Why did God call Jacob a worm? And by the way, if you look up in the original language, that word, you know what it means? It means worm. It does. I am not sure if it's nightcrawler or earthworm or red wiggler but it means worm. Do you, what is a worm? <laughs> it is a soil-shoving insect. Okay, a worm. Worm. It's the lowest. I mean, it's just like the most insignificant, worthless creature. What do you do with worms? Ah, you fish, right? Poke them, and they wiggle a little bit more, poke them again, they really wiggle, and you throw them out in the water, let the fish eat them. Oh! I mean, yeah, worms have their, their, their place in the insect world. I'm not denying that, but worm. It's the lowest, most insignificant creature. I mean, even the Bible uses the ant to teach us the 
principles of diligence and hard work and storing up the worm. Not so many illustrations. They're just there. And they're below the dirt. They come up when, it gets, when the rain comes. You walk on them, you squish them, and they're just worms. And actually, if you look at the language, it doesn't just say worm. It says maggot. I don't know if he's saying, Jacob, you maggot. But he is saying you're a worm. Okay? And what is he saying? I'm going to help you. As far removed as you are from my glory and my strength, and as far as you're, you're just creation, you're like a worm, but I'm going to help you. I'm going to bend that low. I will hold you up. A worm is defenseless. It doesn't sit there and go, ah, when you come after it, it doesn't bare its teeth. It doesn't, you know, have hair on its back that raises up. You don't have guard attack worms protecting your property at night. You might have dogs, but not worms. A worm is defenseless. And what does God say? I will defend you, you worm, Jacob. Now, that verse is there for perspective, folks. That's why he says worm. Now, so God's attitude towards fear is clear in Scripture. He rebukes, but he also positively tells us that his love, our loving him, casts out fear. It eliminates fear. Therefore, here's my, one of my therefore moments. Fear, though it is natural, fear is not spiritual. Is it natural? Yes. Do we fear? Yes. Have I been absolved from all fear? No, I still sometimes am afraid. And I'll use this illustration. Once we're saved, that doesn't mean we never sin again. But, listen carefully, the power to overcome sin is there. And when we sin, it's not because God has not delivered us from the power of sins because we choose to. It is the same with fear. We do not have to fear. And God's power has rendered fear unnecessary and sinful. If we walk in fear, if we continue in fear, fear is not spiritual. Romans chapter 14 and verse 23. Romans 14 and verse 23. I want you to see this verse. What's, he's talking about eating the meat, but he comes to the end and he makes this statement, for whatsoever is not of faith is sin. Whatsoever is not of faith is sin. Fear is a lack of what? Faith. When the disciples were afraid, what did Jesus say? Where's your faith? O ye of 
little faith. So therefore, fear is not of faith. Therefore, fear is sinful. And fear must not be the basis for our decision-making. Fear is not the basis for our spiritual decisions that we make. Now, I want you to think of Daniel chapter 3. In Daniel chapter 3, we have the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Called them by their right names, right? Get it right? Shadrach, and Meshach, and Abednego. Three Hebrew children. And the story there is the king set up this big monument, this big statue of himself, and all people were to worship it. And at the sound of the, all the instruments, and there were trombones there, they were called sackbuts pieces. So at the sound of all these instruments, you were to bow down and worship this image. And if you don't, you're going to be thrown into the fiery furnace, and you will be incinerated. So bow down. And so everybody gets out there, and the music starts, and everybody bows down except three people out there, and they're sticking up like sore thumbs. <laughs> three people. They're not kind of like hunkering down a little bit. You know, make sure that we're not really kneeling. <laughs> we don't want to stick out. <laughs> it could be embarrassing. It could be deadly. Yeah. No, they weren't hunkering down. They just stood there. I really think they had their arms crossed, just like the Platts, all three of them. <laughs> there they were, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. <laughs> we're not bound down. You know the story. It's Nebuchadnezzar. And by the way, Nebuchadnezzar was a big shot. He was a king of kings. He was king over all the known world at the time. He was the head of gold in Daniel's image. So here's, here's Nebuchadnezzar. And so his servants come and say, oh, by the way, did you know there's three people out there that are bowing down? You've got to be kidding me. What? Yeah, Nebuchadnezzar, man, let me tell you something. He had a temper. You just think about his personality when you read. Oh, you know, I lock horns with that guy. You're toast. He's kind of quick-tempered. He's bring him in here. They bring him in, and what does he say? Now listen, you boys may not have understood my command, but I want you to know that I'm going to give you one more chance. Such a merciful king. Wink, wink. Yeah. So what does he say? I'm going to give you another chance, and I want you to bow down. You hear the music play. And um, so Nebuchadnezzar was really angry. He brought them before them, and in Daniel chapter 3 and verse 14, Nebuchadnezzar spake and said unto them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, do not ye serve my gods, nor worship the golden image which I have set up? Now, if ye be ready, that at what time ye hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, dulcimer, ye fall down and worship the image which I have made? Well, but if ye worship not, ye shall be cast in the same hour into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? <laughs> you guys are toast. I'm giving you one more chance. Let's do this right. You understand? Get back out there. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, <clears throat> O Nebuchadnezzar, we're not careful to answer thee in this matter. If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, 
that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. And then, I mean, right in between verse, I just see smoke. I mean, just like this was. Nebuchadnezzar, he lost it. <clears throat> then was Nebuchadnezzar full of fury in the form of his visage, which changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Therefore he spake and commanded that they should heat the furnace one seven times more than it was wont to be heated. Crank up the dial. This thing is roaring fire. And the flames are matching the redness of Nebuchadnezzar's face. No one talks to Neb like this. These kids didn't even, didn't say, well, you know, uh, thanks for the offer. No, they said, you know, king, we're not even careful to answer in this. Our God can deliver us out of your hands if he wants to. And if he doesn't, that's fine. We're still not going to bow down to your image. No one talks to the king like that. And so they didn't get their second chance. Nebuchadnezzar takes him, and these three men, he took his strongest men and took them and threw them bound into the fiery furnace. And of course, you know the story in verse 24. Then Nebuchadnezzar, was, the king, was astonished and rose up in haste and spake and said unto his counselors, Did not we cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? He answered and said unto the king, True, O king. He answered and said, Lo, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire, and they have no hurt, and the form of the fourth is like, says the Son of God or one of the gods. Why do I bring that story up? I bring it up because of this. Fear is not spiritual. And fear is not to be the basis of our decisions. And here were three Hebrew children faced with certain death. And what did they say? King? I, I, I don't think they were like, uh, we're scared to die in here. No, they were bold. Why were they bold? Who was with them? God was. This is so unnatural. This is totally, this is supernatural, folks. And what did they do? They said, King, you know what? If you want to burn us, that's fine. But we're not bowing down. God can save us if he wants to, but he doesn't have to save us. But either way, we're going to obey him because we don't fear you. We fear and tremble before almighty God. And the most amazing thing happened, and it shouldn't be amazing to us. But God let them go into the, fiery, fiery, the burning, fiery furnace. He did. And they were fine. And they came out and didn't even smell like smoke. And all the viral particles that had gone in with them were burned up. I mean, they were clean. They came out. And the king... Uh, changed his mind about some things. The king asked them a reason of the hope that they had. Okay? Because they were not afraid. Now, fear has to be dealt with. Fear has to be dealt with. How do we deal with fear? We're, we're to trust in the Lord when we are afraid. Psalm 56, verse 3. What time I am afraid... I will trust in thee. Am I telling you today that you will never experience fear again? No, I'm not saying that. But how are you going to handle the fear? What are you going to do? What time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. You want to cure your fear? Fear God. You want to cure your fear? Trust in him. Listen, he takes care of fear. 
We're to remember God's promises when we are afraid. Again, we read Psalm 91, there's Psalm 1923, Psalm 3318. I mean, the Bible is full of these references of God's promise. And in Isaiah chapter 35 and verse 4, we're actually to encourage other people not to be afraid. And that's what I'm doing for you folks today. I'm encouraging you not to be afraid. Isaiah 35 and verse 4. Say to them that are fear of a fearful heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, even God with a recompense. He will come and save you. We're to encourage other people. Hey, let me tell you about the character of God. He can defend you. He can take care of you. He will. It's not a message for unbelievers, folks. This is for his people. We're not to worry. We know these verses. Philippians 4, verse 6. Be careful or full of fear, full of care, full of worry for nothing. Nothing. But in everything, through prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And what does he give you? The very next verse, verse 7 says, And the peace of God, which goes beyond understanding, which can be credited to to no one but to God, and the peace of God which passeth understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Listen, God does not tell us to fear not if he didn't provide for us not to fear. God never gives us a command. He does not enable us to obey. 1 Peter 5, 7, Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 to 31. That whole passage. Take no thought. What are you worried about? The lilies, look at them. They don't clothe themselves. They don't work. They don't toil. And God has made them absolutely beautiful. You can't add to your stature. Don't worry about the things that the Gentiles are worried about, which you eat, drink, put on, all these things. God's going to provide for you. You seek first the kingdom of God. In Matthew chapter 25, and verse 36, and on through the scriptures, you know, you know what pastors are actually supposed to do? They're supposed to visit the sick. What? Visit the sick? If I go visit the sick, I'll just get infected. If I go visit the sick, I'll bring home a virus. Kill the rest of my family. Why would God want pastors to visit the sick? Are you kidding me? Man, let me tell you something. I grew up in the home of a doctor. And there were many times I thought, Hey, you know, my dad sees sick people all day. He looks in their mouth. He touches them. He breathes their air. He doesn't social distance. And I thought, why isn't he sick all the time? How come we aren't sick all the time? Because he comes home bringing those germs with him. You know, the doctor's office says, does not say on the door, no sick people allowed. Hey, listen. What a great job as a doctor if all you got to see was healthy people. Come on. Oh, you look great. <laughs> That'd be 50 bucks. Hey, you look great. Oh, yeah, you look really good. 100 bucks. Come on. No. Who goes to the doctor's office? Sick people. And, you know, pastors visiting the sick and afflicted, laying hands on the sick. Here, and God didn't say, well, <laughs> make sure you uh, <clears throat> wear a mask, double glove, gown up, and wear rebreathing apparatus. Be careful. You could die. You don't think they had germs back then? Sure they did. Now, again, listen, 
We're talking about fear. I'm at fear. What are you afraid of? I want to finish with this. We've, God delights in our faith. God is pleased by our faith. God rewards our faith. God does not disappoint our faith. Folks, this is such a long message. I should have made two. And I'm not going to give you all the verses under those points. Those are absolutely biblical principles. But I want to end with this. Not everyone has the same level of faith. Hmm. Think about that. Not everyone has the same level of faith. In Romans 14, 1, we're to receive them that are weak in the faith. There are people who are weak in faith. In Luke 17, 5, the disciples said to Jesus, increase our faith. In Mark chapter 9 and verse 24, the father who had the son who was the demoniac, you know, he cried out to God and said, Lord, help my unbelief. Romans 12 verse 3, speaking of spiritual gifts, as God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. Not every person has the same amount of faith. Faith comes by hearing, Romans 10, 17, hearing the word of God. Matthew 6, 30, Jesus said, O ye of little faith. Matthew 15, 28, the Syrophoenician woman who is pleading for her daughter, and Jesus said, I don't give food to the, the food on the table, doesn't belong to the dogs, and what she persisted. And then Jesus said to her, O woman, great is thy faith. In 2 Corinthians 10, 15, Paul's prayer for them that their faith would be increased. In 1 Thessalonians 3, verse 10, he was going to go to minister to them to fulfill up that which was lacking in their faith. In 2 Thessalonians, the next book, he rejoices in 1, verse 3, that your faith groweth exceedingly. That's a whole other message. But what I'm going to get at right here is that, you know what, we all are at different levels of faith. But the point is, our faith can and must grow. You can increase in faith. You can grow in faith. But how do you grow in faith? Through going, by going through trials. James chapter 1. What do trials do? They teach us endurance. They increase our faith. You're not going to increase your faith unless you face the viruses of life. You're going to go through some trials. They're going to be there. But how you respond to them is so important. And how we respond to the trials of life and the things which cause everyone to fear is how we, when we come into contact with God's word and we obey it. We see God's promises. We see what he says about fear and about faith. And you know what? Hey, we could trust God. Every area of life, folks. Every area. You know what? Every one of us has different anxieties or different fears. They have to be dealt with correctly. Because if we walk by fear, if we allow fear to control us, if we allow fear to, it, to affect our decision-making and the things that we do, like Saul and Peter, guess what? We're going to be wrong. We're not going to please the Lord. So let us walk by faith. Trusting him. Listen, perfect love casteth out fear. What are you afraid of? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, we know that this passage, and these, this principle and all these passages are 
absolutely applicable to every one of us. And Lord, we all are at different levels of faith, but Lord, help us to increase in our faith. Lord, help us to trust you more. And Lord, help our trust in you to be demonstrated through our obedience. Lord, thank you for the illustrations of Scripture. Lord, the simple stories that we've heard all of our life have such deep and important truths. Lord, help us not to miss them. Lord, that we might apply them to our lives, that we might glorify you. And Lord, that the world around us might look at us and see that we are certainly different. And Lord, that they may see that we are happy, joyful, and that they may in turn ask us a reason of the faith that is in us. Lord, help us to remember that if we act like the rest of the world, there is not going to be any difference to be questioned. So help us to walk like children of our Heavenly Father. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.